Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa. And once again, I am joined by Brian Neville, who's the founder and managing partner of Laxon Neville, one of the top securities firms in our industry, probably the top securities firm in the industry. And today we're going to be talking once again about the legal perspective and financial services. Brian, how are you doing today? Awesome. Good morning. Good morning. You look great. Appreciate you got your coffee going. I got my tea going. For those of you that are listening to us, if you want to check us out on video, check out our YouTube channel, Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. So today, Brian, we're going to jump right into it. And really, on the heels of ANEC at Merrill Lynch making a comment about something to the effect of by 2030, all of their advisors are going to be in teams, right? And that's a great concept. And I believe in teams and I believe in a team approach. But as a former manager, complex director, I've also seen the sort of the ugly side of teams gone awry, right? You know, teams set up gone wrong. And so today I want to just really get the legal, the legal perspective of the types of mistakes that advisors make when forming a team. And for conversational purposes, let's say that we're not talking about joint rep codes, right? As you and I have talked about in the past, you know, you have two guys that are desk buddies, right? They're desk partners, Hey, if I'm out, can you answer my phone? They share an assistant. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about meaningful mergers of teams. And, you know, they're maybe not 100% share, but it's more than 50 or 60% of their total revenue is in combined numbers. So from your point of view, and you probably get these things a lot, you know, what do you see as, as some of the key mistakes advisors make when forming a team? Yeah. I mean, look, Frank, I've been doing this now over 30 years. And, you know, when you and I came into this industry, teams were kind of more the exception to the norm. And I saw the news articles about Andy Sieg on that. And, you know, I've moved a lot of teams into and out of firms like Merrill. And the number of individuals out there is dropping dramatically. And I think the firms prefer the teams. And every firm has a different approach. And I think that's one of the things that we should focus on a little bit. And, you know, to your point, the desk buddy joint rep number with some coverage is, is not really the situation that's fraught with much anxiety. That's really just a backup system. So I don't think we need to kind of cover that. But I think one of the most important things to think about when you think about a team, teams really, you should think of them as almost partnerships. And what are partnerships? Partnerships are essentially a marriage. And you should think of a marriage like this, the same way you would think about what does your prenup say about how you're going to dissolve this marriage if it's not working out. And because it is a business, because it is a team, you should think about making sure you have a team agreement. Now, every firm has a different approach to that. So before you enter into a team, you might want to check with you know your complex director and see what the team agreements say. Some firms don't really have much of a team agreement. It really is kind of a glorified joint rep agreement. And in a lot of them, the most simplistic of them will say something along the lines of, if the team dissolves, 
the team members will make their best efforts to agree upon who takes what accounts. And if you don't agree, then the complex manager has unilateral right to decide and tough. That's, that's what you get. And if you have two old school, 40 years in the industry, registered reps, and they're forming a team because they want to bring in some juniors and there's some great young juniors in the branch that have passed and are doing well. And now you're forming this almost like two teams or two individuals are coming in together. Juniors are coming in and that, you know, it's fraught with risk. It's fraught with risk for every individual on that, right? Because roles need to be defined. Compensation needs to be defined. Roles change over time. Well, the compensation change over time. And so what I've seen in these, Frank, is, you know, the worker B financial advisor, the one who is super good at putting together the financial plans, putting together the performance reporting, handling all the client contact on day-to-day basis, managing the CSAs, doing all the internal plumbing of a team. And you know what that means. And your advisors know what that means. And then you, you frequently have these crazy rainmakers, right? They're not in the office that much. They're on the golf course. They have a sailboat. You know, in New York, they always have a house in Florida, you know, and They just are tremendous at instilling confidence in clients and referrals to bring the money in. And then they sit down with the worker B team members and they get this crazy, really humming team going. And then the worker B starts saying, hey, wait a second. You know, I I started out at 10% of the book's production, but I'm doing, you know, 50% of the work now. I want 50%. And the rainmaker says, nah, I, I like it the way it is. And then they can't resolve that and kind of awesome worker B. So like, I want out. I'll just, I'll go do this on my own. And the managers, that's great. You were 10%. You can take 10% of the book. And, and, you know, that's a terrible result for the worker B, right? And so you can create a formula for the dissolution of the team that is not static, which is not written in stone at the beginning which, you know, you could put in things like every year, the team will sit down and reevaluate and reformulate what happens if there's a dissolution. And it will be based on productivity, which will be measured in the following terms. All these things can be put together. So I would say that if, you know, if it's a mature two groups that are forming a team, you should spend the time and energy to get a proper team agreement that contemplates what happens if different things happen. Well, let me throw it back at you. I mean, you and I have always done a good job at, well, what happens with this? And, you know, we're a complex manager with a big team, a lot of teams. Yeah, one of the one of the areas that I think people fail to think through, and you've even said, basically, you split up the clients, right? But what about all the prospects? There's value in, in a database that you both, let's say there's two advisors that have been jointly marketing to for the last five or six or seven years, now, all of a sudden, it's a split. Well, how do you split up the database? So there's things like that that people forget about. You have multiple sales assistants. Absolutely. Frank, I had, I had a situation a few years ago where one of the quote-unquote leads was a company that they bought in the 401k plan. And you know they started out zero. They might have got it up to a couple million dollars. And then it gets bought out. And it was a huge liquidity event. So if you have that 401k account, then you notice liquidity events coming up in two years and you're splitting that account up. How do you value that? You go to the manager and he goes, oh, that's a tiny little 401k. Like, no, 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 no. The C-suite of this group, which we're going to get, 
is going to have, you know, maybe a hundred million. It's like a whole new book. And so we need, you know, there's so many things that go into this. And, oh, here's one. You and I had chatted about this in the past. We've seen this with teams. So you have these teams, everything's humming along. Everyone's doing great. And the two primary team members are now in their late 50s and their kids have graduated college. And the marine biology job in the Keys is paying them 38000 a year. And they come home to visit mom and dad and they see this financial advisor job spits off a couple million dollars a year. And while it looks like a lot of work, it's something I think I could do. And then so the son or daughter wants to come into the practice and they have no experience other than being a great marine biologist. But if the whoever was the husband or the wife who's the parent looks at this and says, wow, I could teach them. I can bring them onto my team. I want to bring them on. I want to get them through the training program. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then, you know, the whole plan is upset because... Yeah. And it's a new partner. All of a sudden, it's a new partner. A new partner comes in and there's a little nepotism going on. So I, I've seen some teams break apart on that. And it's devastating to some of the juniors who thought they might be, you know, on quote unquote partnership track on this team. And now they're not. So you should make a lot of plans for how you're going to split this team up, up front. And you should revisit it annually. And the triggers for all these different things don't necessarily have to be set in stone. They could be reevaluated. And do you find it, and this is maybe your perspective from the company's point of view, right? Because the advice that I would give in that situation, well, it's about communication and communicating with each other uh, honestly without taking anything personally, right? Like sitting at a table and saying, well, what if, and what if, and what if, and, you know, and just understanding that you're doing it for the right reasons. Because in my experience, when I've had people come into my office when I was a complex director, and they say, hey, we want a partner. I'm like, really? You know, <laughs> just because you, you guys like playing golf together doesn't mean you're going to make good partners. But what I used to do is I say, well, let's talk about what happens when you break up, right? And they were like, oh, well, we're not going to break up. I'm like, well, let's just pretend. Let's just pretend, right? How does this happen? What does this happen? What does this happen? And so I think the moral of the story there is to have that communication. But when it comes to the legal perspective, if I advise that kind of client, hey, you should get an attorney to work out these scenarios so they're in writing that you all agree to, in your experience, are firms okay with that? Right? Or firms say, no, 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 you don't need an outside attorney. Here's our joint account agreement split up. Like, this is good enough. My experience is that firms frown upon a personalized team agreement because, again, from the firm's perspective, the clients are the firm's clients. You don't really own a book. They just take a very different view of it. But you know that being said, there's nothing that they could do to stop a team from putting together you know, a whole team organizational agreement. And look, the firm's not going to sign it. So they're not going to be a party to it. So you can't get the firm to sign off on it and saying that they'll enforce it. So your rights and your kind of responsibilities in that are to each other. And if it breaks apart, you're remedies would be to file arbitration because you're all licensed. It would be at FINRA and you'd be seeking a panel to enforce that. You can even put in clauses that you can get emergency relief in the form of a TRO. But you know, if it got that bad, you'd probably have to leave the firm and enforce your rights from a new firm. But you know, I mean, I, I've done these in the independent space where you, know, you actually have a DBA, you have an LLC, and that's the model that we go off for the folks at the wirehouse. 
that you're forming a team, even though it wouldn't have a legal entity name. And the purpose of the agreement is to set forth everyone's roles, their responsibilities, how often it's going to be reviewed, what compensation is going to be, what the succession plan is going to be. You spell it all out. And I have had instances where those agreements have been taken to a branch manager and said, hey, we're breaking up the team. This is what we had agreed to way back when. We'd like you to enforce it. And, you know, we're bickering about a few things. So we'd really love for you to kind of be our mediator to help us solve this because it's getting a little bit nasty between us. We want to keep it as clean as we can. And managers will look at that and say, hey, this this is great. I'm glad you had this, right? Like, firm's not going to enforce it, but I get to pick pursuant to our agreement. And I think what you did here makes sense. So I'm going to make it so. And then they figure out what small part is still being bickered over. And they set it up. And even then, a manager can say, I see that this could happen. I see that that could happen. Look, I'm going to work with you guys in good faith that if this gets one-sided one year down the road, we can make some adjustments. Right. So working with, right, that gives, at least it gives the manager sort of a roadmap of their previous agreement that he or she can come in with a little bit less bias or perceived bias. But then also working with an attorney, if they're W-2, working with an attorney is really more about maybe having a, a referee helping them put the document together. And it's a legal document, but you know, sort of maybe it's a loose legal document. But on the independent side, it's much more, much more binding because the damaged party, you're agreeing to something, right? You're, there's a legal entity there. It's an LLC, S-Corp, whatever, right? So I guess the messaging there is sort of be careful what you wish for and enter into those agreements cautiously and if you're listening to this as an advisor, and I've seen this, and unfortunately, I've had recently had two good friends go through this, and it didn't end well, which was sort of sad, and I'm hoping they can remedy their relationship. But it was that situation where one advisor brought their daughter into the business, and all of a sudden, it was like, hey, partner of 25 years, I'd like you to meet your new potential future partner. Right. And the other one was like, wait a minute, what do you mean future partner? I, I thought when you retire, I'm I'm getting the whole book. That's what we were doing together for twenty years or whatever, right? And it didn't end well because it wasn't in writing, it wasn't ever discussed, and it just was poor planning. And so if you're listening to this as an advisor and you and you have a you have a partner, but you also have two kids that are, you know, twelve and thirteen years old. Right. And they're they're never going to come into financial services. Right. They're a bio major. They're a whatever. You know, don't assume that that's not going to happen because you have a really successful business. And when your child gets to a certain age and they see mom or dad making a good living. But, man, you're coming in at like nine and you're leaving at four and you have a good life. Like, dad, you have a really good life. Like, maybe I should do that because this bio thing's not really working out at you know, at 48,000 a year to sit in the water all day, right? Or whatever. And so I think it's a mistake people make. They don't think about that regardless. And I just, so it's a personal, it's a little bit personal to me because it's one of my, two of my close friends and there's really nothing that we could have done because they never thought about it and never, and it was basically too late once it happened. So the other thing you touched on, and it's something that people need to be aware of, about a joint agreement or joint partner or partnerships, so to speak, and then not having like an official succession plan, right? Where 
the proverbial bus. We did an episode about this, but you know, how does that correlate? So how does a team agreement and not having a succession plan, a specific like, so this is our team and this is how we're going to split revenue and all that other stuff. But if I get hit by the bus, what happens? And I know you talked to me about a situation once where not naming any of the client information or anything, but the situation where it was, hey, I'll take care of your wife if something happened and, and something happened, unfortunately, and it did not go well. Yeah, these team agreements absolutely have succession components built in there to take care of it. And the succession plan will, if you're at a wirehouse, gets built into their, their forms also, and they mirror each other. But in that situation, Frank, that was in the independent channel. And it was just two advisors that the recruiting firm got them into kind of shared office space, but they didn't have any agreement whatsoever with each other. They had a handshake and, you know, tragedy struck and the purchasing advisor, according to my client, wasn't abiding by it. And we had to file an arbitration claim and it gets expensive and ugly. And the resolution was terrible compared to if, if a relatively simple legal document had been created, right? Like this would have been a super simple succession plan agreement because they weren't even, the independent firm was leasing the space. They were just, they had offices in, in a shared office space. But, you know, their $5,000 or less in creating a, a succession plan would have saved, you know, well into the seven figures. And, you know, same thing with these team agreements. They can be simple. Or they could be complex and it depends. But, you know, some of these teams that I'm representing now, if you think of the enterprise value, you have teams doing seven, 10, $12 million a year of revenue. Where else would you have that kind of enterprise value and not have an agreement in place to protect the participants? Nowhere. The strategic forward thinking advisors on that team, if they were hired to help another team, would say, get a plan. And, you know, it's just like the lawyers who don't have their wills in place. It's like occupational hazards sometimes that the worst people at doing this for themselves are the professionals in that area. And you got to get a team agreement. You just have to. Right. When you say succession plan, I also think of the term I like to use because I think people think succession plan like, well, I'm not ready to sell. And what I don't know if I want want that person to be the person, right? What I say is put together a contingent succession plan. And in the independent space, particularly, which is sort of where the puck is going, when we call a tuck-in, a tuck-in opportunity. So one advisor just goes into the other in an office, a shared office, and they're doing some shared things, but they never officially merge their businesses together. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a contingency plan in place, right? Hey, we're not partners. And if I want to bring my son or daughter to the business, there's nothing you can do about it. But if I get hit by a bus, then you take over and here's what happens. Yep. Super simple agreement. And in the independent space, uh, the good thing that I've seen is all the major firms are all but requiring you to have one because they don't want it, right? Because in the independent space, they don't have a whole branch to reassign those accounts to. So I would say that you know the succession plan available from the larger, higher quality independent firms is okay. If you're so afraid of putting anything more in place, but do that. Like if you're in the independent space and you don't have a succession plan and you don't want to spend money on a lawyer, at least call your firm and say, do you guys have a standard one? And they will. And you can work with that. But you're getting an off the rack document that might not fit your situation. 
but it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend, you know, a successful financial advisor do their will on, you know, one of these online $150 populate the forms because they're not asking all the sophisticated questions. But if you're doing $250,000 a year at an independent and you don't want to spend a lot of money on, on legal fees, absolutely do that, have it, because then there's something in place. But if you're a million-dollar producer and you're in this industry and you're thinking of forming a team or if you're thinking of going independent and you're going independent on your own, get a succession plan and have it customized and have it be enforceable. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, this is, again, near and dear to my heart. For a lot of different reasons, as a complex manager, I spent many, many a holiday, unfortunately, because it happens during the end of the year when these things come up about splitting up and we're not working, it's not working out. And I've, I've had to disassemble teams of good friends that end up never talking to each other again, or, you know, and it's just horrible. And I hate to see that. And so my message, and I think your message is communication, talk about it up front, sort of in the prenup type of conversation and agreement. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't take it personally. Don't read into, why are you asking me that? Like, why would you bring that topic up? Like, it's all for your, for the good of your business, your clients, your families. Yeah, you have to get over that awkwardness. It's the same thing that you're doing with your clients when you're telling them, do you have a will? Have you thought these? Yes, it can be a little awkward. Get over it. Right, get over it, exactly. Something might happen. And if you think it's not going to happen, you're a fool. So awesome, Brian. This is great. I appreciate it very much. Again, a topic that I think people think about, but maybe don't want to talk about all that much. This is phenomenal. For someone that's looking to maybe speak with you about a potential agreement they're either signing or they're in, they're trying to figure out how to get out of one, where could they contact you? Yeah, so again, the easiest way to get a hold of me is just go online, look up Lax and Neville. We're in New York City. But we assist people nationally. We have clients all over the place. And just call the office number and ask for Brian Neville and you'll get on my calendar and we can have an introductory call. Happy to help. Great. Thank you. And for the listeners, thanks again for joining the call. If you're watching us on video, thanks again for joining us in person here. And we look forward to the next Legal Perspectives with Brian Neville. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, Head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.